Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moyedin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Doctors and public health experts would prefer it if the number of teens and young adults who smoke cigarettes is as close to zero as possible. The UK government has just proposed what it's calling a smoke-free generation policy. It wants to ban the legal sale of cigarettes to anyone who is currently 14 years of age or younger. And as those teens grow up, they'll never be able to buy cigarettes legally. New Zealand has passed a similar law. It's one way to tackle what is still a major public health problem. So this week we're asking, how effective is a total cigarette ban in curbing smoking, beginning with youth? Hi, Michael. Welcome to The Dose. Really glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here, too, to help us explain this policy. Um, I'm just curious. Have you ever been a smoker? Uh, I definitely tried. Uh, I grew up in the 90s, and uh, um, back then, uh, nearly everyone uh, at least at least tried sometimes. It was everywhere, and uh, um, I, I was also part of that group. And you know, Michael, I'm going to tell you that I used to I used to con myself into into believing that because I had asthma, childhood asthma, that I could never get used to smoking. But there was a moment when I was part of a group of people who stayed after work and in a clandestine way. Uh, you know, we started playing one of these first person shooter games, and somebody lit up a cigarette and started passing it around, and that was the first time that I got that sick, nauseating feeling that you get when you're smoking a cigarette for the first time. And it felt mellow and the vibe was great. And I thought, uh-oh, I could become a smoker. And I stopped right there. But, but that, was my, that was my experience. Before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it, just ad lib. Sure. Uh, my name is Michael Chayton. I am a senior scientist at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, and I work at the University of Toronto and um, at the Ontario Tobacco Research Unit. I want to begin by having you, Michael, explain to us what the UK is trying to do in, in, in simple terms, because it, on the surface, it sounds complicated. What they're doing is called a, a smoke-free generation law. Um, in Canada and as well as the UK, they currently have uh, minimum ages to buy cigarettes. So uh, it, here it's in Canada, it's either 18 or 19. And what they're proposing to do uh, in, in, in the UK is that for every year uh, for a particular generation, that is for people who are currently 14, when they get to that minimum age, they'll raise it by one year and keep raising it one more year each year. So that means that people who are currently 14 will never be old enough uh, to be able to legally uh, purchase cigarettes in that country. And how does that differ from Canada? So, it, it well, right now we have a static law. <laughs> so we have a minimum age, uh, but that age will is, is only 18 or 19. And so once you hit uh, 19 or 20 years old, uh, you can purchase cigarettes. That's, uh, and, and right now there's no indication that, that such a, a, a kind of smoke-free generation law will be implemented in Canada. 
Is that sort of policy legal? You know, I'm thinking that it, it, it sets an arbitrary distinction that people in theory who are, you know, co- cohorts of people who are a year uh, different in ages, one will be allowed to smoke and the other won't. Yeah, I mean, that's currently what happens now. Uh, We set uh, boundaries on who can purchase and where we can sell uh, uh, different types of drugs. There are many drugs, for instance, you can't purchase at all uh, from a convenience store or a gas station. So I, I don't think there's an issue with legality. There are been many calls for the uh, phasing out or banning of tobacco entirely. And this is a one way of doing it. It will take many, many decades before uh, tobacco would be phased out from being able to be sold legally uh, in the UK. But it's sort of a slow process of, of, of making that happen without limiting um, access to those who are currently smoking. Are there any countries where this sort of a ban is already in place? No countries where it's in place, but uh, the New Zealand already has a law on the books that is uh, coming into force in a, in a couple of years. All right. So these are early days. It's a proposal in the UK, uh, and and it may be just getting started in New Zealand. You know, as a scientist at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Uh, and someone who has been interested in in uh, smoke cessation for for uh, and reducing smoking rates for for your entire career, what do you think of this this idea, this proposal? Well, it's a really exciting one. I think in in tobacco, we've really moved into a new phase of thinking about tobacco control. Uh, there's discussion about a, a tobacco endgame that instead of sort of nudging people towards um, you know, changing the behaviors, essentially nagging them to say, oh, well, smoking isn't cool, you shouldn't start, or you should try and quit, that we should actually make some real changes to the system. And uh, this is, I think, part of uh, uh, that process of uh, really starting to think about tobacco as not a normal consumer product, but as as a as a drug that uh, you know shouldn't be available in the same way that uh, you know f- food and and toys and candy are. What do we know in 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 terms of research, in terms of the science about how effective this sort of a ban might be? Well, it's tricky. Uh, the best way of doing it, it would be actually to uh, to evaluate places that have actually done it. But because these are new uh, and innovative proposals, of course, we don't we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We can infer some things so that we know that minimum age laws uh, can work. Uh, that we've seen this in Canada and in the U.S. Most recently, the U.S. raised their minimum age from mostly 18 years old to uh, 21. Um, and we've seen that that had a, a, a significant impact on on uh, a youth use of, of cigarettes. In Canada, we've, we've also done some studies that show that the rates of smoking initiation in people who aren't legally a- able to buy is significantly lower than that uh, among people who um, who once they reach the age that they they can they can buy from a store having products more available means that more people are likely to use them and the optimistic uh, take would be that that for people who are younger that there would be a full cohort of generations who would where no one would ever start smoking and I think a more realistic 
expectation from laws like that is not that it would fully uh, stop everyone from starting smoking, but it would uh, dramatically reduce the rate at which they start. We already see uh, very low rates of um, of tobacco use among among youth in Canada and in the UK. That the it, it back back in my day when I was a teenager, uh, that most people were were uh, tried uh, at least a puff on a cigarette, uh, and and many people did more. That in in the year two thousand, we see in Ontario, twenty two percent of uh, youth in high schools were daily smokers. Um, that number has dropped dramatically. It's less than um, it's less than two percent now. More closer to one percent um, for people who are smoking daily in high school, and the numbers of people who even try and puff have gone from sixty to seventy percent down to uh, 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 about fifteen percent. Uh, it's a huge dramatic reduction, and these kinds of of laws uh, where there isn't a huge amount of interest uh, or access. To to uh, cigarettes um, would would likely only uh, accelerate that. I'm I'm interested in the idea that there would be cohorts of people who can smoke and cohorts of people who can't smoke. Obviously, if this played out, you know, 50, 60, 70 years from now, it wouldn't matter. The, you know, all of all uh, all of Canadian society would be would be un, unable, not permitted to smoke. Um, but there is a concept of free will and. Is there a risk here that by trying to create a law that that you're messing with people's free will and that and that they'll there'll be a backlash against it simply because people are saying I'm an adult and I can decide whether I want to smoke or not? I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and and part of it, I think, is is less about individual free will and more about the ability of. Uh, and rights of of the retailers themselves. That this law in the UK, and we'd expect that any law in Canada would be the same, is not about criminalizing behavior. It's not saying you can't smoke if you uh, don't want to, and you would be thrown in jail if you were a smoker, but about changing the distribution system for tobacco. So the 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 regulation is about um, uh, stopping retailers from selling rather than preventing people from using. Um, and that's a really important distinction there, that it's it's not uh, repeating the mistakes that we did with uh, cannabis, for instance, uh, where we saw substantial impacts on the criminal justice system and from the people who were targeted by those criminal justice laws uh, to prevent them from using cannabis. Um, but instead, it's focusing on changing the availability. If you ask most people uh, if they were happy that they started smoking, um, the vast majority say that they're not. And uh, in the UK, the most recent surveys of uh, even people who are currently smoking suggest a strong support from smokers uh, for, for this type of regulation. Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandeville disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen 
or on your favorite podcast app. Is there any risk or to what extent is there a risk that this kind of a law would simply boost the illegal distribution and sales of cigarettes, which we have certainly seen with other commercial laws that are designed to curb curb smoking or per, uh, curb the purchase of cigarettes? I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the UK. The the One of the differences with this law is that tobacco would still be allowed to be sold, that you could still buy cigarettes or people who are old enough would be allowed to buy. I, I actually think that that might mediate the difference, that it's really about enforcing of those laws uh, uh, in, in stores that are still able to access a, sort of the normal legal mechanisms for uh, wholesaling and purchasing and distribution of, uh, of, of tobacco, um, rather than creating um, a whole new industries and, and uh, to, to supply to people who, uh, you know, who wouldn't otherwise uh, be able to, to receive them. I, I started comparing to if, for instance, if we just put in a, a, a full ban saying tomorrow we wouldn't be able to, nobody would be able to sell tobacco. In that scenario, there would be a, a, a huge market for other sources. And, and I think big black markets would would emerge um, in that scenario. But here, we're really just limiting the people who wouldn't, aren't able to purchase currently anyways. So uh, it's not that the market would, it would, it would slowly shrink rather than uh, a sort of an, a, a, a quick dramatic exit. I think I understand what what you're saying, but I do want to get at the larger issue. And as someone who's an expert in this field about what works and what doesn't work, mm. you know, the first thing I, I thought about uh, when I when I saw this smoke free generation concept was prohibition. You know, mm. in the 1930s, which you know that was the blanket banning that 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 you've just talked about, and uh, that led to bootleg liquor sales and speakeasies. And, and in other words, I mean, there's this general sense in our society that it didn't work. So what's different here that, that you, you know, in general, do, do bans tend to work or, or are there other ways uh, of, of trying to discourage people from, in this case, smoking? Yeah. I mean, I think one slight misconception about prohibition is it didn't work. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it certainly had problems. Uh, and, and certainly the way that they did it in the criminalization associated with, uh, with prohibition in the 1930s um, uh, was, uh, was ineffective. But it also, on other dimensions, it did work. We saw dramatic decreases in things like liver cirrhosis rates, uh, uh, dramatic decreases in the amount uh, that that people drank during that time, um, and uh, that there it it wasn't uh, um, it wasn't a complete disaster in, in some ways. I I think what we've learned in the in the meantime is the importance, again, one, of not criminalizing individual behavior, but two, that those, we need to have some sort of distribution for uh, substances, uh, you know, that, that they're particularly for the people who are, are, are continuing uh, to use, that they're addicted um, and uh, will seek out other sources uh, for, for those products. So it, it is, uh, it, you know, that this you know, sort of new lesson is is about f focusing on on retail, on on that, you know, that we we shouldn't 
have the the kind of commercial distribution that it shouldn't necessarily that that selling uh, products like cigarettes is not something that we need to have uh, an open market for that uh, that there are other ways of of doing it. And as you mentioned, uh, in Canada, um, uh, we fewer and fewer young people are smoking. And and you know why is that? Is that mainly because of uh, the bans on on uh, advertising uh, to young people and 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 banning cigarette smoking among young people or retail sales to young people? That is. Yeah, I think the, all of these the sort of a comprehensive approach that we've taken to tobacco control. Um, has been one of the most successful public health uh, initiatives. And, uh, I, you know, we have a, a number of different um, policies and regulations that I think have been very effective at reducing uh, smoking, again, particularly among uh, new new cohorts. It's, I think, easier to prevent uh, somebody from starting than it is to to help somebody quit. And yet, you know, while smoking rates among youth are on the decline, vaping rates are increasing. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, essentially with vaping, what happened is is we did the opposite of what we've been doing with tobacco. So uh, for vaping has been around in Canada probably since, you know, 2002, 2006, somewhere in that range where, where the first product started to appear in Canada. Uh, but it wasn't until uh, 2017 when the government formally, I guess, legalized uh, nicotine uh, vaping products. And with that legalization, they allowed nicotine uh, products to be sold in stores and convenience stores and gas stations, um, allowed for some advertising and promotion of, of different products, um, allowed for the, uh, you know, the entering in the market of the, the, uh, of the big, the big tobacco companies and their, um, more sophisticated, uh, vaping devices. And with that, we saw a dramatic increase in in youth in use of vaping products among youth in particular. So you know we we've talked around the impact of cigarette smoking, and I want you to to talk about it for for a moment. What is the burden of disease caused by tobacco that we're preventing in youth right now that we're trying to prevent by by one legal remedy or another? Yeah. So so uh, cigarettes today are certainly the number one. Uh, preventable cause of death and disease. Um, it is certainly globally and one of the top ones in, in, in Canada. In Canada, we see uh, best estimates are about 45,000 people um, uh, die every year because of uh, tobacco. And globally, that number is about 8 million people. With the reduction in, uh, in prevalence of smoking over the past uh, 50 years or so, we've seen substantial health benefits um, already. We see rates of, of, of lung cancer, for instance, has been dropping, particularly among males, uh, because of the decline um, in smoking. Um, and we will expect that if, if current trends continue, that we will uh, see even lower levels of cancer, heart disease, and, and COPD in particular. We're have over uh, $6 billion a year in healthcare costs that are directly attributable to, to, to smoking as well. So that's all good news. Um, based on what we're seeing, uh, the news from the UK and, and New Zealand, what would you like to see from the Canadian government in terms of tobacco policy? 
I think that the New Zealand model is a a, a really great goal uh, for uh, uh, the Canadian policy. It combines um, a, a couple of different important uh, features. One, it really focuses on the most dangerous product, the cigarette. Um, that uh, vaping is is certainly an issue, but it's really cigarettes that cause a huge amount of burden and disease. And getting that product off the market, uh, the cigarette off the market, especially when there are alternative forms uh, available, is really the primary piece. So they're getting rid of the addictive properties of the cigarette. They're limiting that availability to youth. Uh, they're also doing things like uh, uh, reducing where and how many places it can be uh, sold with a real focus on on, on examining and, and the, the health health equity impacts of it, um, as well as providing uh, smoking cessation support. And that package together, I think, could be a really powerful one in, in bringing about the, the sort of the, the tobacco endgame, moving it from a, a commercial product um, to one where, uh, you know, where we have the, the less harmful form on the market. Well, I can tell you that as an emergency physician, the idea of a tobacco endgame sounds wonderful. And uh, Michael Chaitin, I, I want to thank you for uh, explaining uh, the, the ideas behind this policy proposal in the UK and uh, for coming on to The Dose to talk about it. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Michael Chaitin is a senior scientist at the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. Cigarette smoking continues to be a major cause of preventable illness and death in Canada. Public health experts say preventing teens and young adults from smoking is an important way to reduce the burden of tobacco-related diseases in Canada. Banning tobacco use in young people is an effective way to reduce teen smoking. Studies show that once such laws are enacted, there is a predictable drop in teen smoking rates, something we have seen in this country. The proposed law in the UK aims to create a smoke-free generation by banning the sale of cigarettes to people under a specific age. What makes the proposal different from what we have in Canada is that the ban on sales would continue for those younger people as they age. Since this kind of ban is a novel idea, we don't know how effective it will be in the long run. In terms of social policy, the key is that legal bans prohibit the sale and marketing of tobacco to young people instead of criminalizing people for smoking. New Zealand is trying something similar. In addition, that country is also gradually reducing the nicotine content of cigarettes and is keeping e-cigarettes on the market. Teen vaping rates continue to rise substantially in Canada. While vaping is considered less harmful than tobacco, the long-term effects remain unknown. The current recommendation is that young people who have never smoked should not take up vaping. The key is to reduce the burden of tobacco use in Canada. As is, existing laws in this country have resulted in a drop in the rates of lung and heart disease and lung cancer. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Isabel Gallant and Stephanie Dubois. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.